0: Welcome to the Bodies by Brent podcast. I'm your host, Brent Ruska. This episode of Bodies by Brent podcast will leave you envisioning a brighter, more aligned future for yourself. Rashana Moss is a sports psychologist, mental performance coach, and she joins us on the podcast to share the benefits of what she learned through her practice that she knew was her path since she was a sixth grade tennis star. She breaks down her five tools to help us understand ourselves, the key to mental performance including an extra point on the number one thing holding you back from being aligned with your truest self. We cover why shutting out the noise is crucial for performance, what you can learn from people that annoy you, the power of being honest with microscopic truths, how to start listening to your body, how to beat anxiety, in the gym and life and so much more. Guys, thank you so much for being here. If you want to get podcasts sent directly to you, simply text 512 Again, 512 488 or follow me and leave a five-star review on all major platforms. Guys, let's get into it. Rajana welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so sports psychologist and mental health, correct?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, so I mean, I really honestly refer to myself as a mental performance coach.
0: Okay. Yeah. So take me through how you got into all this.
1: Okay. So this is actually goes way back to sixth grade. I was obsessed with tennis. That was my life. For some reason, in sixth grade, I was trying to master myself just as an athlete. And when it came to strength, And speed, those were not my deficits whatsoever. I felt really strong there. But when it came to strategy and just like psychology in general or even like feeling the emotions, um, I felt that that could give me an edge. And so somehow in my head, I was like, okay, well, that's psychology. And then that's, you know, sports. And I thought sports psychology. I didn't know that the term actually existed. And so then when I started to do some research, there was no Google then, right? I figured out there was something called sports psychology. And that's when I decided that whenever my tennis career was going to be over, I was going to pursue sports psychology. So from that point, I knew that I would go to school for an undergrad you know, degree, something that would have a combination of psychology and kinesiology, because that's usually where sports psych sits, and then I would go straight to grad school. So that was my plan since sixth grade.
0: That's amazing. When I first got into fitness, I started diving into a lot of sports psychology and it just, it helped me so much. And I became obsessed with the flow state, all the different little practices you can do. I want to know a little bit about your fitness journey. You know, yeah, I would love to know where'd you begin and where are you now?
1: Mm-hmm. So I think my story is very common because for so many of us that were athletes, fitness and health was just part of what we had to do to be as good as we could at our sport, right? Mm-hmm. So in your earlier years, you're not going to the gym because you're not supposed to be lifting like, you know, heavy weights before a certain age because they talk about how I can stunt growth. Whatever. Like that was that was the um, the philosophy, right, that I grew up with in the 80s. Once I got to high school, whole new ball game. right? We're training before we get to school. Um, And then after practice, sometimes there was additional workouts because you needed to build your strength and you need to build your endurance. Tennis is a long game, right? Like there are some times when you're playing for a couple hours and in the summertime, those courts are 100 degrees plus. Yeah. So it was really important to build the entire like physicality. And it wasn't just like, hey, I'm building you know, my biceps because I want my forehand to be that much stronger. It was all encompassing, because I don't know if you ever felt this growing up, but there was also something about your physique, right? Like, you know you can lift some weights, like you might walk out with that core a little more swag. So for me, it was a huge piece of my entire personality. I was a straight jock. (laughs) If you could put me in sports and in the gym and not have to do school, I'm going to be honest, I would have chosen that and just like not even worried about the academics at that point. Um, So I was pretty obsessed. And then I think post tennis, fitness was so much of my life. And I think I knew myself through my physicality Mm -hmm. that it continued to be part of my journey, um, you know, to where later I even owned fitness studios and never thought that was going to be part of my story whatsoever.
0: What made you decide to own fitness? You bar studios, correct?
1: Correct. So um, I was actually working for Nike in 2009, went through the layoffs. That was a big economic downturn and had to pivot. And thought I was going to stay, honestly, within that market, Mm -hmm. just with a different company. And I was living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. Mike's husband, he was playing uh, pro football and one of his teammates co-owned the Pure Bar in Nashville and kept trying to get me to go. At that point, I was probably running, I don't know, seven miles three times a week and then doing like the classes at D1. So it was a little more boot camp CrossFit, you know, mode. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I was like, do what? go to pure bar i was like hell no (laughs) i just thought it was honestly like the girliest thing and was not my vibe whatsoever it's not an
0: athlete workout right (laughs) no i was
1: like i don't do that but his friend like kept trying to push it and honestly i went so that he would hush and so when i actually took the class and it kicked my butt i said okay i understand now what this is about and even though I had, you know, a background in kinesiology, I didn't really understand the power of isometric movements. Mm. And it was perfect timing because of having going through layoffs and trying to figure out what I'm doing next and what the next chapter is. And I'm looking around. I'm like, wait a second. There are 17 locations nationally. This was in 2009, like very, very of 2009, mm. 17 locations nationally. The girls who own these studios are straight out of school, haven't necessarily like worked, usually had investments from parents. And I was like, OK, wait a second. I've spent time you know, in school, have a master's degree, like, you know, worked some corporate, some like two corporate jobs at that point. And I said, this is probably going to be the next sector of fitness. I just had that feeling. Yeah. And so I felt like it would be stupid to not at least try, Mm -hmm. applied for the franchise, got approved. And once I got approved, I was like, oh, I guess we're doing this. We got to figure it out. (laughs) And so then that was it. And it made sense, you know, to bring it back from Texas. I'm from Houston originally. Austin felt like the right market, had spent some time here with some like business meetings, honestly, and there was an energy about Austin that I think is undeniable. And
0: the, what what is that energy? Can you describe it?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to say energy of 2009. Right. And some <laughs> of that is still part of the city, but you could tell that it was a city that cared about fitness mm. and the city was built to where fitness was naturally integrated into the city, right? So we know the trail, like that alone changes how people think about fitness just because of the access, right? Mm -hmm. You think about a city like Houston that's massive, and you might go to Memorial Park. Well, Memorial Park isn't necessarily the easiest thing to get to for a lot of people because the city is so spread out. Mm -hmm. But here, it's um, just a little bit more, I guess, like dense downtown, Um, and that helps people get out and get active at that point. I think Nike was still also doing the human race. And so I had associated marathons and so forth, um, with Austin as well. So I just felt like it was the right place because I was seeing something different versus what I was seeing in Dallas and Houston. And there was true community around fitness.
0: And how long do you still own those studios?
1: I don't, I sold them in 2008, 2018 and
0: 2019. Oh, wow. Lucky.
1: Tell me that, right?
0: <laughs> oh my God, talk about timing.
1: I don't know. I mean, whatever you believe in, like it was there because, um, yeah. so we actually went through Hurricane Harvey in 2017 with my studio in Houston. Um, and that was rough cause that was 65 to 75% revenue loss for, you know, nine months. That's a lot. And, um, had we gone through the pandemic, I'm not sure that I would have remained in business. Because of everything that would have happened financially, also had already been in it for nine years. I was tired. And yeah. then everything that was going on just within our world, I'm a vocal person. I've got you know strong convictions. I'm not sure that I was the individual to carry those studios through during a time like that.
0: And so you were mostly burnout. You just did it. You were successful. You were like, it's time to move on.
1: Yeah, you know, I knew it was time to move on about two years prior to selling. And that mostly has to do with the fact that when I got in in 2010, we were, I want to say, somewhere between number 25 and 28 to open. Now there's 500, you know, plus locations. So we're talking about a totally different business. Yeah. We opened under the woman who created the actual concept. So you're talking about a very small group of women that were so like gun ho and we were a very strong community. Once it got to about 150, maybe a little under that, it sold to its first equity company, by the time I finished selling all the studios, we were on our third equity company. So you're just kind of, you know what I mean? The model is changing every time. And at that point, it didn't make sense for me to be in it anymore.
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And then where did you go after that with your own fitness journey? Did you you keep, are you still doing bar? Did you experience any struggles trying to transition at any point in your fitness journey?
1: Yes. So I would say bar was definitely one of my core foundational pieces of my routine when I had the studios. Once I sold, I needed a break, (laughs) to be quite honest. Yeah, I bet. It was, I needed an emotional break. I needed a physical break. I needed to just not be tied to a brick and mortar, right? So just getting outside and being active was healing at that point. Mm. So we also went into the pandemic. So I sure wasn't going into a studio. So I actually had taught some classes at Equinox for a little bit. My grandfather was very sick at the beginning of the pandemic. He ended up passing, but because I was spending so much time with the family, I couldn't take any risk of going into a fitness studio yeah. because he was on a deathbed. So, I got very into working out at home, and I'm an I call myself an extroverted introvert, like I process 100% like on my own, and I love working out alone. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: I do, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So a garage I, gym is a haven.
1: Right. Yeah. It's just like you can teach yourself and you can play your own music and you can still push yourself. I mean, I think that's a blessing when you can do that. Right. Yeah. So I ordered like a bar apparatus that would go on the door just because with bar, if you put your hand on something to do the positions that helps Hmm. but if you really want to get into let's say positions like chair where you're putting a lot more load on you know the quads and hamstrings you need something to pull off of and so I found that ordered it it was great had so much choreography in my head from nine years anyway playlist ready to go like you know and then other than that I would um run the trail and then I would do yoga at home too so that became my routine It is definitely still my routine Mm -hmm. I'll do classes here and there, but working out alone has actually become my sanctuary in a lot of ways right now.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now you were burnout for people yep. that are burnout or even just beginning to work out, and it seems like this overwhelming task. Yeah. You know, what are tips you have for creating momentum to get back in the gym?
1: Yes. And I relate to that because I went through it. And I would say the other thing is with that transition, my my body changed. So when you go from teaching bar classes and you're standing up and you're being active to now going into a job where like you're on Zooms and you're sitting, talk about like lower back and glutes kind of saying, excuse me, what's going on, right? And there was a lot of pain that came with that. So I did have to figure out how do I become active again? Because with pain for about a month or so, I couldn't work out. Yeah. And um, there's definitely a physical ego that I had to get over. I think that haunts you as a former athlete because you have high expectations of what you can do and how you can perform physically. Um, age plays another part, right? But my thing was start small and give your body a voice, versus telling your body what to do. Sometimes doing the reverse can help just get into it. And for me, because there was pain, I needed to start with yoga, Mm -hmm. but-
0: I have a very similar experience. Mm -hmm. I just so burnt out from lifting weights. Yeah, And I was just telling my body what to do all the time. And finally taking that approach of like, let's see what it wants to do. And that was a complete 180 shift like, listen to what my body wants to do and that same thing started with yoga yeah was just like let's just begin to feel good again 100 percent. yeah so you started with yoga
1: yep started with yoga it was still difficult to get over that you know fitness or movement ego
0: i should be doing more i 100 i'm I'm not burning calories i'm not training hard what's going on
1: exactly right but what it showed me was that it was essential to my foundation so all the other stuff that i wanted to do guess what can't do it until you get your yoga in because unless you're stretched out, unless your hips are open, because that's where I'll hold a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I cannot maintain my fitness routine. And the other thing is that where there was um energetic release that would happen with yoga, mm. just the breathing alone, right? But like opening your chakras, everything about yoga brought me back to the basics to connect to my body, give my body a voice. Um, and then I had to be okay also with changing my routine. So I calendar block quite a bit,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which includes putting my workouts in. A lot of those workouts get canceled. You know why? Because my body says that's not working and I have to be okay with taking it off the schedule and knowing that I was giving my body a voice.
0: What do you think about, you know, there's the David Goggins of the world and the like, just train your ass off and don't care about pain, you know, and I have more of an approach that you're speaking on. Is listening to your body, but there's a balance, right? There's a being too soft on yourself and then there's a being too hard on yourself. How do you find that balance? You know, how do you know it's okay to cancel on certain things? How do you figure that out for yourself?
1: So, this is one of those topics of when it comes to like performance that I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. because there is such thing as overperformance. And most people are going to say, yeah, but if you're successful and you're making money and like you're getting the body you want and so forth, like that's the ultimate performance. And I actually disagree. Is that part of it? Or are those indicators of great performance? Yes. But an Olympic athlete, that's their job. That's how you make a living. And that's what you're going for, right? But for someone who is not an athlete and your main job is to, let's say, you know, take care of your kids or to perform as an executive, you gotta know where your priorities are. And one thing that can happen when you push too far is that your body will come in and say, excuse me, we're shutting down. And when you shut down, what happens? No longer can you perform your priorities. And so when it comes to that balance that you're talking about, the priorities and your goals in life, we have to center our performance around that. And if you do push to the point that things break down, it's completely counterproductive.
0: Yeah, you got to figure out how to honor your body. That's going to keep more momentum going longer.
1: Yeah. And I respect the people. Like, I think there does need to be a voice about, you know, that says, you know, keep going, push through the pain, et cetera. That is very relevant because we can very easily let like the mind bugs in and kind of like succumb to our depression, our anxieties, our fears, when in reality, if we push through, we would prove ourselves to ourselves. So that voice is very relevant. But then there's also, like I said, that point where if you overperform, you lose your productivity.
0: Yeah. Do you have advice for people who experience anxiety, beginning working out or going to go work out? You know, I've experienced in the past where, you know, you almost build up so much anxiety, you don't even want to go to certain workouts. Do you have a way of overcoming that? I imagine there's a point where it's like your body's telling you not to, and then there's just you're in your head.
1: Absolutely. So when you talk about, you know, anxiety to go work out, there's so many reasons why that anxiety can happen. I think about someone who's trying to get back into their fitness and it's scary. Or let's even say post pandemic, someone gained like 15, 20 pounds and now they're supposed to go into the gym. And the people that they, you know were used to seeing before um, aren't used to seeing them with that extra weight, right?
0: post-pregnancy or yeah, post-athlete, you're out of shape for a while. You're like, I can't show my face.
1: Exactly. You know, and at Pure Bar, that was a really cool experience because it was a group of women. So it was like, yeah, between hormones, babies, whatever, this is part of the norm. Um, And so there was a trusted community. But in a large gym, you may not have that. Or in a gym where there are certain, let's say, aesthetic expectations, that can be intimidating. So I do think asking yourself what you're comfortable with, first and foremost, might make sense. So the fact that we all have iPhones and there are so many apps where you can do different workouts, that might give you a little more confidence in terms of at least starting or it might make sense to adjust your schedule so that the time that you went before where you'd run into, you know, Sally and John and whoever else. Or all the
0: high school kids at the gym.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Taking
0: all the equipment. Right. Flexing in the mirror.
1: Totally. Yeah. Switch your schedule. Yeah. So that you feel like you have some type of, um, not even like privacy, but a little bit of distance before you're ready to, to step back in. I would say the other piece is connecting with individuals. And this is for, you know, getting up on stage and giving, giving a talk or walking into any situation where there are going to be people there that you feel some type of distance from, from, for whatever reason, if you can go in and connect, not only will you feel more of a human connection and kind of normalize things, but people will as well. And they'll respond, you know, a little more like empathetically. So I think that can help us get out of our head And just kind of say, like, I'm here, I'm accepted, and I'm connecting. Because that's what we're really looking for is acceptance, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. In your body, in yourself, um, with your own fitness routine. Going back to your yoga, you were talking about emotional release. Do you have any specific experiences you remember that you experienced getting back into yoga? You were talking about chakras a little bit too.
1: Yep. So um – I tend to, I mean, some of this also also just has to do with a uh, body shape, right? Mm-hmm. I hold uh, tension more so in the hips, and just in terms of like my ratio between waist and hip that makes a lot of sense. Um, and also just from running and like IT bands getting tight and that running up, right? Yep. So for me, I one hundred percent will feel energetic releases. When, honestly, when I, I mean, you wouldn't think this because it's such a simple position, but Bridge will do that for me. Pigeon and um, Lizard. The other one is Half Moon. Just because of where, you know, I think the fact that you're talking about kind of like anterior releases, that for me is healing because i feel it it's almost like your upper body and your lower body releasing from one another which is what i need like that's where i kind of get caught so energetically there's a calmness that comes when i am releasing my hips and i think i feel excuse me just more aligned and centered in general
0: Yeah, i feel like when there's tension in my body there's tension in my mind yeah and so pausing to focus and breathe also gives you an opportunity to kind of be present with any emotions and allows them to kind of dissipate. So I want to take the tools that you use with, you know, your high level athletes and your executives, but I want to apply them to the everyday individual so that they can get the most out of their fitness results. So where do you begin when you have an athlete or an executive that come to you with goals or what would be other reasons they would come to you?
1: So for one-on-one situations, I first and foremost want want to know who you are, Mm -hmm. right? I don't want to know the performative version of you. It's your truth, who you are, where you are right now, where you are trying to go. Because if we're talking about the performative version, it's going to be difficult to get to your goals because you've lost, you've left the real person behind right? Yeah. So I want to get as close to the essence of who you are first and foremost. So for anyone, for yourself, what that comes down to is really being honest with yourself, kind of poking holes in how you show up for yourself and understanding that we all have areas of growth and that never really ends, right? But the more we can lean into our truth, the quicker we can actually get to the ultimate goal.
0: That's great. So getting honest with yourself, what are some ways people at home can start to uncover where they are and really be honest with themselves? Do you have exercises?
1: Yeah. So (laughs) it's more so asking yourself questions. So I like to call it the microscopic truth. Okay. So if you think about, let's say you're, you know significant other comes out and is like hey honey is this is this cute and in your mind you're thinking that is awful
0: <laughs> yeah right yeah
1: you might say yeah that's super cute because you don't want conflict and you want to make sure that they feel supported right now i'm not saying that you need to respond and say that's awful because there's also emotional intelligence that tells you that, you know, you can filter a little bit of what you say. Right. But if you would say, you know what, I actually, um, think it doesn't like compliment you as much as X or whatever it may be. Um, you're just being more honest. And so that is an example more so because of how we express ourselves externally is a huge um clue into what we're saying internally to ourselves. Very interesting. So, yeah, so if you can observe how you're acting externally, it'll tell you a little bit more about yourself internally. The other thing is, how are you feeling? So, when someone asks you a question and you need to answer yes or no to actually doing something, oftentimes we say yes when internally your whole body is saying no. You're nauseous or like God, I don't want to do that. Or you just kind of feel like heavy. You ignore it because in your mind, it's like, I should show up. I should do do this, but you're burnout. You don't have time and you have no interest in being around those individuals. Right? So listening to the energy of your body is probably the most important tool when it comes to listening to yourself. And the more you can be honest about what you do want to do and you don't want to do, you're going to give yourself more and more of a voice. Um, And so let's say you did say no, it might cause a little bit of conflict just because um, the person asking you may want you to say yes. But by saying no, you now are clear with them in terms of what you have time for, what your boundaries are, Hmm. and then you've given that voice to yourself. So now that time that you're not spending on whatever it is that they asked you to do. You can now nourish yourself and spend time on the things that you need to do, which could be a different task or it could just be time to recoup.
0: Wow. I really love that. And what do you think about creating time to work out? You know, a lot of people will say to me, I just don't have time to work out. How do you help individuals manage time or find space to train? So
1: I'm glad you're bringing up time (laughs) because time is my second thing. So like when you were asking about, you know, different tools to help, time is my second one, right? We all have 24 hours in a day. It doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing in life. It's 24 hours. And so how do you use that time effectively to get where you're trying to go? So for those who are trying to fit in their workout, um, looking ahead at your schedule, I think is a great tool because you're being proactive to take ownership over your time. Right now we'll say, oh, I've got this work to do and this work to do because I need, you know, I've got this deadline. Okay. Yes, of course, deadlines are a real thing, but we are agreeing to take a job. We are agreeing to produce. That doesn't mean that your boss dictates your time. You do. So if you can look at your calendar ahead of time and say, okay, from six to seven, this is a really great time for me because if I get my workout in in the morning, um, it sets me on a completely different path just because like I feel good um, and I also you know, have got some adrenaline going um, and I can take over the day with a different mindset. It's important for you to treat that time with the same amount of importance as you do your job and oftentimes we don't prioritize self we prioritize the external factors which honestly you'd probably be more efficient with your job if you got the workout in
0: yeah nurture yourself first of course
1: i mean it's it's so it's okay it's so cliche put the mask on yourself before others like I can't wait until more analogies like come out just because that one's overused. But at the same <laughs> yeah. time, it's true. Yeah, it's And totally. when you really start to exercise that, you can feel a difference. So get proactive about your calendars. If, people, if you're in a company where people can drop meetings on your calendar, block your personal stuff out.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you come first. Yep. Schedule your workouts first. So self-awareness, scheduling things out, what other tools are very helpful? I have three more. <laughs> yeah, lady, mommy. Okay. So five tools, let's go.
1: Okay. So then the next one um, is how you showing up externally. Okay. So before when I was talking about those conversations where your mind will say one thing, but then you do another, how we show up externally is a huge deal. And a lot of times we're walking around with these dilemmas where we're feeling one thing, um, but then we're acting another way. <clears throat> and with those dilemmas,
0: what's an example?
1: Okay. So, An example, relationships are such a good place to to start, right? So for example, in a relationship where you've decided to be um, like committed, right? But then externally, or let's put it this, I'm going to switch this up. (laughs)
0: do it. (laughs) Rewind. Okay, let's start over.
1: Okay, so um, a good example in terms of those dilemmas, like relationships are a good place to start, is that internally, you may feel that there's someone in your life who is special, but you're not ready to commit. But you also don't want to lose the individual. So what do you do? You end up committing. But then... You end up in situations where it's difficult to commit. Yeah. And so you're constantly ending up in this dilemma where you know you're not ready, but because it, you know, looks good to commit and whatever else, and you kind of like hide what's going on um, outside of that relationship, that's a perfect example. Um, and what that comes down to is like we are feeling one thing but doing another because that's what we think we should be doing rather than leaning into our truth fully and saying what life would be like if, oh, we we didn't commit and maybe meet that person later and it really work out because you're both ready for it or you meet someone else that can fully um, embrace the person that you develop into a year or two from then. So I just think that when it comes to these dilemmas and, and that happens like in work too, Right. Um, where sometimes we take on, you know, these jobs that we don't really love. um, And it almost is like, you know, nails on a chalkboard every day just because you don't enjoy what you do. Um, But internally, your voice and your soul is telling you that you're supposed to be doing something completely different, but the, you know, the fear, you don't want to jump out there. So if you can align with What your voice and your soul is telling you internally, that is when the real magic happens. But we have a lot of fear in terms of how we show up externally because that's where the judgment is of what people think. Um, And a lot of the supposed to's and a lot of the should's in life. um, And those do not serve us well.
0: How do you help people work through the should's?
1: (laughs) So when it comes to the should's, again, it's questions, right? When you allow people to kind of like talk and or even ask them, you know, like, tell me about your job. Um, And, you know, what is your experience with your colleagues and with your work? Do you love your work? What does it bring up for you? Like they'll start to say certain things that will reveal their truth. And if someone lights up and their goals are aligned with where they are, now, and it's kind of like a step in that direction, then they're probably pretty aligned, right? But if someone is really struggling and they're describing, for example, you know, like a job where almost all the factors are like walking through mud day after day, it's usually an indicator of a misalignment
0: I could see how that would apply to relationships too yes you know if you're talking to your girlfriends or whatever (laughs) it's all you have to say is unpleasantries uh it's a little clue in so it seems like having conversations with people about your goals about what you want in your life is a good way to just reflect and almost observe yourself
1: yes exactly and so at that point honestly that's what I'm doing right like it's more so mirroring or even drawing out, um, different diagrams so they can see what they said versus what the goal is and understanding, wait a second, these actually don't align. So the steps that they're taking aren't even going to get them where they're trying to go.
0: Yeah. All right. Next tool. Okay. Tool number four.
1: All right. So tool number four is about people. Um, people in our lives teach us so much about ourselves. Um, we already know that families are as triggering as it comes, right? Even if you grew up in a great household, it's triggering because it's part of your conditioning and your foundation in life. Um, friends, relationships, work relationships. It's almost as if people were put in your life to just say, hey, here's how you heal. <laughs> and here's the reflections and mirrors of yourself. Yeah. So if you can... Um, Take account of who's in your life, who's aligning, who's not, and then start to understand that with those that do not align, are they teaching you something to where you can um, develop different skills within yourself? Or are they teaching you something so that you stop a certain behavior or a certain cycle that you need to heal from. Wow. Um, so that's everywhere, you know? Um, like, I think people f- sometimes feel like, well, at work we should um, be, I don't know, like kind of removed from that experience, but I actually think there's a lot of things that come up at work, literally to make you pay attention to yourself because that's not the same Intimacy of friends and family. So it's hard to avoid.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's a good perspective shift too. Mm -hmm. So if someone's bugging you or already having problems with somebody, looking at it like, what are the lessons or things I'm trying to learn instead of this person just bugs the shit out of me?
1: Yes. (laughs) And I think, you know, especially for leadership, because the higher you are up the chain, like right on the org chart, um, you're responsible for more individuals and therefore a leader has to look in the mirror that much more. Um, it's guaranteed that if you're a CEO, every decision that you make, um, will dissatisfy someone because you're talking about so many different personalities. Yeah. Right. But if you can be conscious, um, about the fact that there are a lot of different opinions. If you can be conscious about who you are, if you can tell your truth about your process and why decisions are being made, and even be honest about not knowing, that alone can make a huge difference. And too often in job situations, we're there to prove ourselves because we've got a performance goal, our performance um, you know, review coming up in six months, and then that determines how we're gonna get paid, right? And um, learning how to show up within the people business and as, you know, a teammate that can take care of a lot of your performance goals. But again, our ego and our fear comes in and will prevent us from that.
0: I love that. And then tool number five.
1: (laughs) So tool number five has to do with places and what we don't observe is where we spend our time and how those places can sometimes drain us. So when it comes to uh, work, gym, where you're going socially, is that actually supporting who you want to be and what you want to become, right? Um, Especially like in our 20s, if you think about all the places that you spend time that are not serving you. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean you can't like go out to bars and have a good time with friends, but different communities have different morals and values and um, a different vibe. And too often we will get into places that will really bring us out of what we're meant to become. And if you are not thriving and you are putting on a mask in order to be a part of that, you know, community or that place, it is not meant for you. And I think too often we'll just kind of default to different places um, versus bringing a conscious awareness to where we're spending our time.
0: It sounds like the common theme is finding alignment within yourself, within the people around you, within your environment. And the more you can do that, the more it seems like things flow. So what happens when you're not in alignment with these things? What do you see usually happen in an individual?
1: Yeah. So I think it's pretty easy um, to get out of alignment. Um, because It's a lot of self-awareness. Yes, a lot. absolutely. Yeah. Right? Um, And there's so much stimuli. Um, Even if you think about your phone, my gosh, right? Just the amount of information that's flooding in on a daily basis is insane yeah so um i believe that we should all kind of have our go-to checklist um for me something like you know yoga um quiet time meditation um honestly it could be time outside too if it's not 110 degrees (laughs) um And, you know, a hot bath or a shower um, just to quiet yourself and feel the difference of what it means to be aligned and compare that to how you feel when you're in those places that are not allowing you to thrive. Um, You can feel the energetic difference when you're aligned. You're more likely to feel calm, peaceful, Um, mental clarity, oftentimes that's where inspiration is Mm. and you might even have some excitement, but it may not be like the hyper, like manic excitement, uh, but more so of a balanced versus if you're in those other environments that are not aligned, um, you're going to feel triggered. And so there might be like some low key anxiety, which sometimes low key anxiety can come out as like some hyperness because it's, you know, it's like that, that rev feeling. Um, You also can oftentimes feel um, like you're not productive and not to say that we're supposed to be productive 24 seven. But what I mean by that is you're just, you're just there. There doesn't feel like um, there's any type of connection or understanding of why you're in that place, around those people, whatever it may be. So understanding energetically the differentiation alone can give you a clue. So it's like, get back to you. Um, So having that checklist, knowing what centers you, you don't have to think about it. We spend too much time thinking, oh God, I feel this way, what am I supposed to do? No, 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 Go, go to your checklist. Don't think, just do it because you already know what your checklist is. Like if we all sat down and really thought about it and wrote it down, it's those activities or those places over and over again. It's not complicated.
0: Yeah, it's very simple. You have things that just create that place for peace. Yes. And then you can figure out, I had that experience when I was doing yoga, I started doing yoga. And then I would get into situations and be like, this person gives me a lot of anxiety. I never knew. Or like this thing really triggers me. And then from that place, I could start shifting things and becoming exactly. becoming much more aware. Do you have mindfulness practices or breathing techniques you teach your individuals, your athletes and high performers?
1: Yeah. So with breathing, there's a lot of options, right? You just have to choose one. Um, So for some people, it's as simple as, you know, breathing in through the nose and then exhaling through the mouth. Um, We also can do a count, right? And that count can be three in, three out or four in, four out. Or you can also breathe in, four exhale I'm sorry, breathe in three and exhale out four. Um, I also love to do the hold at the top of the breath. With the hold at the top of the breath, you also can tense the body, like tense the fist, curl your toes up and try to literally get as tense as possible. That can oftentimes help with um, anxiety or even frustration. With frustration, you'd be like, yeah, but why you want to tense up when you're frustrated, right? Right. But if you lean into the frustration and take your body there where you're like, I'm even more frustrated. Right. And Mm. just like tense up.
0: Like have a temper temper tantrum if you're pissed.
1: Right. But through your breath, your body will actually reset because it will kind of be like, wait a second.
0: (laughs) Too much. (laughs) This is too much. Right.
1: (laughs) But but that, you know, tensing and then the release of it Mm. gives your body the clue. So it's almost like a simulation that you're doing. Um, But that's one of my favorite ones. Um, and then I also think that visual visualization is very very powerful
0: yeah I love I love visualization I'd love to get into like the details of how you help people even begin to program or write out or you know what are your techniques for visualization
1: yep so visualization is one of those things where we kind of have to start where the person is and what are they already conscious of and what can they tap into So for some people, um, visualization might be, um, let's take baseball for example, right? Um, if an outfielder is focused on the hit, right. And they describe, you know, so much noise and, um, you know, their eyes going to the right, to the left is okay. What you're telling me is that you're focused on the hit, but not, you think you're focused on the hit, but you're not. Hmm. Because when you're focused on the hit, where should your eyes be? Like on the hit, hit, right, but they aren't, right? (laughs) So that is one of the most important things with visualization is just kind of understanding how focused your eyes need to be. So that whole idea of tunnel vision is really important. So if you and I were to sit here long enough And to just like honestly stare and just keep staring, keep staring, our peripheral vision would start to decrease. And that's what tunnel vision is. And it actually works. So I've walked athletes through that before and um, to help them get there. We'll do a repeat exercise where I would say, "How are you?" Then the other person, would, "How are you? How are?" You? Until the uh, the leader changes it and says, "Like I'm fine." The other person say, "I'm fine," and you just stay on that loop. Wow. But what it does is it closes your peripheral vision. And so, as an athlete, um, you know, yes, you need your peripheral vision because you have to see, you know, the entire field or the entire court. But your focus is still on the play, and that play is oftentimes dictated by where the ball is right but then there are other players that you would need to be aware of but if your peripheral vision is all the way up in the stands fans don't have anything to do with it right exactly so um so that is first and foremost with visualization is them seeing it and that's why it's called visualization right
0: why is that why is visualization so helpful like on a physiological level
1: of course because on a physiological level when you this is like dreaming you know when you wake up and you're like Was that a dream or did I just live that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's because your entire body sensed it. And so when you allow yourself to see the game, the match, and you're seeing yourself succeed, you're seeing where your teammates are and all of it, you are giving your body the opportunity to actually practice it. So, yes, people go to practice, you know, weeks before the game to get ready for it. That is also part of getting yourself prepared. But if you visualize it, you are actually going to recruit, you know, similar brainwaves that you do when you're actually performing. Um, And so that's giving yourself in so many ways like a, a stage to see yourself perform Um, and also the belief because you've seen it so often, it's almost like, you know, for if an entrepreneur creates their business plan, they're more likely to succeed because they created the business plan. That's the vision. They mapped it out. They know what it looks like. It doesn't mean they look at the business plan every day. Most of us put it away, right? But you create it. So it becomes part of your subconscious.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. And same place, uh, I feel like applies to when you're working out, like visualizing the lift, visualizing the muscles you're working, visualizing how you're going to look instead of focusing on all the things that you're not currently. Mm -hmm. You know, you're almost pulling your energy into that direction.
1: Yeah. And I think you're increasing that mind body connection significantly, right? I think if you can tap into more senses, that helps as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, um, this week, with one of the athletes who happens to be a baseball player. Um, we were talking about how he feels on the field. And he was like, I just didn't hear anything. And I was like, yes, that's key because you shut out the noise. It just became white noise um, versus hearing the details of what the fans might, you know, be saying or general noise from a car passing by. Um, that also is like tunnel hearing because your ears are queued up for game specific cues and information so it's almost like your senses are um, compartmentalizing to align with performance for whatever the task at hand is
0: and i feel like when people talk about vibration and manifesting this is what they're talking about when you're when you're tuning your vibration you're you're just thinking and visualizing the thing so you're only seeing That which you are going towards, not which you do not want to go towards, right? You're creating the outcome in your mind, whether you know it or not. Right. I feel like this is leading into flow state because I feel like the more you visualize, you're starting to get that, you know, you're not hearing anything. Talk to me about flow state. Are there ways people before workouts, I used to be obsessed with trying to get into flow state in my workouts (laughs) because you'd have these peak experiences. You're like, this is amazing. It's blissful. It's just, it's incredible.
1: Okay. Do you feel a little more flow state right now? Yeah. You do, right? Yeah. Okay. So you interview people all the time. Um, You know this setup and you know the eye contact and the conversation. Then eventually you get into a space where like it's clicking, right? And then we talked about it. And we talked about the fact that like visually, right, you'll start to get more of the tunnel vision, just click in. So you'll start to feel it. And then your body just kind of relaxes. The sensations kind of go away, right? Like you're probably not that um, aware of being like thirsty or an itch or anything. You can just focus, right? So it's the same thing. Um, I think that when you are going to go work out, there might be those voices I don't feel like doing this, I'm hungry, like whatever it may be. Yeah, I need
0: to go in and watch that Netflix show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: But if you can close your eyes, imagine yourself in the gym. What is it that I want to do today? And then also give your body a voice. What are you, what are you feeling? Like let your mind, body, and soul commit as one. the workout right and it's a unanimous like yes so visualize what it is that you want to get out of that workout okay so um if you're going to kind of like go in go to the stretch pad first um you know what your playlist is going to be maybe you want to play some drake today right um and then from there knowing what machines, what exercises that you're interested in and what the goal is can set you up to kind of honestly flow through the workout because you've already visualized what it is that you're going to do. You've already visualized feeling good. You've already visualized yourself doing it with success. Um, And so that will allow you to kind of like walk in and just allow your body to to truly flow through it.
0: That's great. A Big recommendation I always make clients when they're working out on their own is make sure you write down everything, at least all your work sets. And if you write that all down and when you get on your machine to warm up, I've, that's your transition from life into gym. And that's where you can make that mental shift and then review your last workout. And you're literally going to visualize what you're gonna do. So when you hit the gym floor, you just do it. You're not sitting there trying to, because every moment you got to sit there and think you're going to lose your energy. Right. So if you can just, as you're warming up your heart rate and your brain focused, you're in that flow state, you know, you're seeing what you're going to do. You've run through it. You're just going to go perform.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, that applies to, I think instructors too. Really? Um, Oh yes. Especially with like class instructors, because you know, your playlist and you also know like the choreography or the exercises And you need to know that before you go into the class. So a lot of times an instructor is thinking about that um, and visualizing what the class is going to look like. And so when they're actually teaching the class itself, that is a manifestation of their visualization. And all they're doing at that point is they're present and they're bringing the energy, right?
0: That's so awesome. Yeah. What is one more big tool or technique you use to help people become successful in their sports?
1: Let me think of one more. See, so I came in with five, but you're asking me for a six.
0: I want like that. That one you just you pull out for that stubborn individual.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, So are we talking about a stubborn person? Yeah. OK. All right. So.
0: Dragging, man, dragging their heels,
1: dragging their heels. The question then would be, is this getting you where you're trying to go? Or where is this going to get you?
0: So when you're you're feeling a lot of resistance, you know, and you're trying to push yourself to do this thing, yeah,
1: is this giving you the results that you want? Um, what's the common denominator? You, <laughs> 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 right? And we all do it. We're all stubborn. We all have these cycles that we repeat. Um, but <clears throat> if someone has come to me for help, at that point. It is my job to support and um, to shed light gently to how much they have inside of them to accomplish their ultimate goals.
0: Just bringing out more of them.
1: Yes, 100%. And you know this, like when you, every time you prove yourself to yourself, your confidence increases. You're more likely to go after that next step or that next chapter because you have past evidence that says you can do it. So we're trying to increase past evidence as much as possible.
0: I love it. What is the future of sports psychology? What do you see? I'm very curious about this. You know, like 10 years, because I remember you talked about in one of your podcast episodes it wasn't even a thing then. Right. You know, you guys were seen as like, you know, the quack doc, right. Don't talk, go, don't go talk to the mental performance person. Cause it means you're loco, right? Yep. Where do you see it in 10 years?
1: Yeah. So we are still in a bit of the stigma, to really be quite 100%. The more alpha, the sport, Still
0: a quack.
1: Wow. <laughs> For sure. Wow. Absolutely. So I do think that with everything that's happened in the last two years, right, mental uh, mental performance, mental awareness, all of it is more normalized and accepted. In 10 years, I do think that it will be an intricate part of our world on the corporate side, probably even more so than the athletic side. Um, And then on the sports side, I would see it opening up to where I'm going to take football. For example, if 2% of NFL um, pursues some type of mental performance, I would assume that in 10 years that would go to closer to 30%.
0: That's great. Yeah. That's really great. I'm excited for all that. Yeah. Rashana, thank you so much for being here. Give us a shout out. Where can we find you? How do we connect with you? How can we work with you?
1: Thank you. Yeah. Um, It was great being here. So I would say that the easiest way to get in touch um, is either going to modernmuse.com or on Instagram, Rashana Moss, um, you know, DMing, whatever it may be. That's the easiest way um, to send a note and we can definitely reach out and see what it is that you're looking to accomplish
0: i love it Roshana, thanks so much for being here
1: oh thank you for having me
0: you're super welcome (laughs) thanks Roshana moss thanks for being on the podcast guys i hope you got a lot out of this episode hopefully this helps you inside and outside the gym to achieving optimal performance whether you're a mom of three kids or you're running a business or you're striving for your purpose, I hope these tools, when you implement them, help you. Thank you so much for being here. Please leave a five-star review, subscribe, and I will see you guys next week.